Welcome to the Creative Industry Inside Podcast, a podcast that looks at various roles in the creative world. I'm your host, Bobby. Today's guest, production designer Kelly Fallon, joins us to talk about their work on Missing. Please be warned, there are heavy spoilers in this episode. Furthermore, please note, this episode was recorded in February before the release of the film was pushed in the UK. So sit back and relax as we jump into the conversation with Kelly. Hey, Kelly, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited for, to talk about Missing, the pseudo-spiritual sequel to Searching. And like, yeah, I'm just sort of interested to dive into a, the production design of a film that's slightly, how could I say it? unconventional should we say because everything's done through Mm -hmm. a computer screen or phone screen and I can imagine it being very uh, different to previous work but before we all dive in how did the project come about and what made you want to take it on? Sure so I had worked with uh, two of our producers Joe Enriquez and Natalie Kazabian on a feature of couple years before and absolutely loved working with them. They are just Natalie especially and and Joe does a lot of the of the you know financial kind of line producing. They just run a beautiful production and uh you're supported the whole way through creatively and logistically. So when Natalie reached out about interviewing for Missing, which was at the time Searching 2, of course, I was thrilled to um, meet Will and Nick, and we had such a wonderful interview. They have such great energy. They balance each other really well. It's always, I think I'm a little wary of working with two directors because if they're not exactly on the same page, it's quite complicated, but they were always on the same page day one, all the way through the end of production. And you know, they really were, the design was clearly like incredibly important to them. So our interview went very well. I found out that later it was actually the first in their first production design interview. So it must've gone well because I ended up being brought onto the project, but yeah, it mostly came about through Natalie and um, having had such a wonderful experience working with her before and then getting on with Will and Nick quite well. It's quite funny, though, that like when you have that process of being the first one and then nailing it um, in the interview, because I've I've talked to somebody else where they said they were the last one to be interviewed, uh, mm. thinking that it was more of a, um, you know, just like a courtesy and then they got it. But I think if you manage to nail it in the first interview whilst there, they still have people on. And I think that's more of a credit to yourself. Yeah. But but I think as well, when you've worked with previous people, I think it makes it easier to push yourself to want to sort of work with them again especially if you had a really good experience absolutely I think the production team really sets the tone for the entire project so it's an interview both ways in a way where having worked with Natalie and Joe before I knew what a great what a great potential there was for the for the shoot and then very much trusted that directors they would be working with would be 
just as competent, just as, you know, brilliant. And obviously that proved to be true. <laughs> they kind of all all worked out well in the end. What I'm curious to know about as well, because it's a film that does undertake a lot through screens, a lot through phone screens, and your sort of your world's kind of divided into online and also real life. Apologies for the loaded question. Um but <laughs> So it's, it's going to be kind of like a three-part question. Where do you mm. start in your research with a film like this? And then, you know, how do you then go about to the design process? It was actually, that was something that came up in our interview. And then again, once I was on board, Will and Nick and I started talking about right away. We almost, we approached the design as if there were no screens. So we really approached the look of a film as a cinematic version of a contemporary world, you know, June's world. So actually the screens came later, I would say more in physical production, because as we were shooting, we really had to be paying attention to basically vertical and horizontal framing, as well as social media framing all at the same time while we were filming, because actually we never knew what elements were going to be used where. So we really had to watch the monitors so closely and we had all different markers on the monitors to show what the frames, all the different frames would look like. And we were so lucky. We had an incredibly talented onset dresser who just poured herself into and really embraced this project because it's a very complicated shoot, obviously from a technical standpoint, but also a visual to make sure that all three frames or however many frames look good at the same time. So we we started with the script and we started with the characters, which is always my favorite place to start with the design. And from there, we grew from June, we grew out and Grace and the dad. And so we grew the world and then we worked on our locations, which really informed a lot of the look as well, because we shot almost entirely on location. So that was quite a big collaborative effort between Steve, the DP, Will, and Nick and I. We scouted so, so much to find the right locations, but then it really paid off because we also knew the world we wanted to create. So yeah, so once we kind of had all of that locked in, then we started our prep going, we got our locations locked and we started prepping those once they were dressed and we had like you know a day or two before we were shooting during prep at each location to check how everything was looking that's when we really started double and triple checking everything all the various ways that that the footage could be used well now just sort of going by your answer in terms of starting out as how you would with a regular movie with building the real world and then letting the online world uh, take shape with afterwards. I like the idea of how you're very sort of try make yourself connected to the characters in the film. So I guess with June being a teenager, this sort of idea of like what a teenager's room would look like, especially mm-hmm. now it's like, I can imagine mm-hmm. that it's changed from not just being messy, but also the, all the gadgets and mm-hmm. Even the idea of having posters on the wall has probably changed from having like, for example, this is so stereotypical, like a boy band poster to, to now it's probably something completely different. 
our art department on this movie was so incredibly talented and enjoyable to work with. And our decorator, who is just brilliant, she and I would work together a lot late at night because it was the only time that we could really have together creatively. So we did a lot of Zooms late at night, just looking through TikTok and Instagram and Pinterest and all these places where, you know, kids are filming their rooms, themselves in their room, their friends in their room, all those like real life references, basically. We were lucky in that sense that we could pull different pieces from different kind of current references in a way. And we did, we pulled a lot of different things from a lot of different places to to build out, especially June's room. Because the, the color palette there, I think, was super important to, to me to nail as something that was going to be interesting and unique, but also a little bit moody. And she's, you know, she's kind of angsty going through it. So nailing the color palette and then, and we did some camera tests for that paint and then we built we kind of layered on on top of it from there i think it's interesting where you're talking about the so going through that late night research of going through tiktoks and those youtube videos and whatever else kids are using to document mm-hmm. their life because it must have been if you did this film let's say, say 15 years ago also that must have been so that would your research would just look so different and right. sort of it feels like probably every night it must be, you know, each research like item not necessarily becomes obsolete, but becomes a little bit more like etched in time because mm-hmm. the next person's room would be so different. But then it within sort of a few months or, or whatnot, that person, you know, that those rooms would change again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, one of the ways that we noticed was kind of unique that kids these days love to (laughs) put like the led strip lights all over their rooms and so normally we dress sets and we have lots of practicals and we have fixtures and that was something that will and nick and steve and i all talked about was how we wanted to bring those led lights in and we ended up putting them around the ceiling which is very popular very trendy i would say or was at the time that we shot And it was such a fun way to light the set differently, you know, and motivate the lighting of the set, but also have so much more flexibility with color palette for the lighting and was like instantly recognizable. And it was just a little bit different. So not that that's never been seen on film before. Of course it has, but it was particularly for this movie, it ended up being a nice touch, I thought. That brought a little bit of realism because many people have that now, but also really helped cinematically kind of build build out our world. I think as well, like um, I was talking to Will, one of the directors, and shooting it that that probably helped with the DOP with lighting the whole scene instead of and being able to hide those lights in because they're quite mm-hmm. a lot of shots are shot wide, so there'll be a sort of game of hide the lights but I guess if you've created a a lot easier way then it probably becomes quite beneficial to them yeah it's something we really worked closely I think Steve is so talented and his lighting team was very communicative and so we really worked closely with them like we tested 
several different LED strip lights and then sent some back and ordered different ones and to make sure that it was all going to be pretty coherent because like you said, there's so many wides. And even though it's layered behind all these graphics, it was really important to Will and Nick that the footage itself, the you know, from production felt quite real. So we wanted to elevate it into a cinematic language because that's part of the fun of of going to see the movie, but also ground it in the contemporary world. I think that's quite quite important not for it for it to stay as a film, to right. have that still be grounded and because there's nothing even though it is a lot of screens, it's important to keep it grounded and not have it in a just make it look like a computer generated uh, all over a computer generated designed film sorry absolutely but but also you, you kind of touched on the tech side of your research but there's also a lot of tech that people have around the house now especially where if you look at searching and missing that film only has a that has about a so 2008 it came out in 2017 or 18 from the top of my head so it would be about four or five years gap but you start noticing more how much technology has changed over that time. So mm-hmm. I think a big thing that plays in missing is something like the the, the camera doorbells uh, that a lot of people are having. And it's quite those sort of things would help push a story along because there'll be moments where, spoiler alert, you will see June's dad, James, pop up and you think, oh, my gosh. And it kind of gives you that sort of warning of people coming in in and out in and out of the house whilst designing the film with te- with with these changes coming into place like how much more careful were you with what you wanted to put into the film and were there things that changed as as you went along towards production the tech on screen i actually quite a bit of it was scripted because they will and nick and the producers they'd really storyboarded out and gone into quite a bit of detail writing the script so things like her smartwatch and the ring doorbell and her computer and all of that was scripted so what we ended up paying a lot of attention to with those props in particular is kind of customizing them to each character we, Because we would see them sort of laying around and Vina's on her laptop and you see June's phone a few times. So the tech itself was from the beginning fairly, fairly picked out. And then we just had to bring that to life from the script. But one thing I loved about the ring doorbell in particular that I think when we found this location, Steve and I really kind of latched onto was frosted glass window that's right by June's front door. So the layering of the sort of physical world and the virtual world between that ring doorbell and then this frosted window, I might've said mirror, but I meant window. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So this window was like, I think turned out amazingly because you can see their physical shadows while she's also watching them on the screen, which I think turned out like was visually very compelling and interesting. No, I think it's important as well when you're talking about those little little details that you add in and that you've made it sort of like more visual interesting as well because it's um if you're basing it in like people's houses as well it's like there's mm-hmm. only for someone else it's like it 
it's trying to make it as seamless as possible, but also make it interesting enough to people be like, oh, look at this, look at that part. And also with like the film being so visual, like it is a very visual film for audience members because having the two worlds uh, put on screen, there's there's things that people need to keep, an, audience members need to keep an eye out. So it is a film that needs to hold the audience members' attention. But mm-hmm. with this being such a visual film and going by these sort of like, let's say, conventions and rules, how do you go about dropping clues in a film for audience members to catch in your design or or sometimes not not catch? That's such an interesting question. I'm, I was thinking about that, you know, because you had sent me the question. So I was kind of thinking about that. And I remember Will and Nick, like in the script, in the narrative, there's actually not that many clues. A lot of the clues come at least kind of visually because for all June knows, her dad is gone. So there's almost nothing of of him around. There's and anything that has him in it is either hers or in her room. And, you know, because it's the story is mostly through June's point of view and we're discovering with her along the way, it was Will and Nick were really, really careful about not wanting to put too many Easter eggs in during production, like during the actual footage we were shooting. But I did notice that there's quite a few fun Easter eggs in the tech side of things. So if there's a scene I noticed where kind of on one of the sidebars of the website, it's like a photo of Will shaving Nick's head and which was a real thing that happened. I think it was before it might've been on searching one, but so I think more of the Easter eggs actually came after the physical production when they could watch everything a little more coherently with the graphics overlaid and then very carefully place everything so that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really baked in during production. Those Easter eggs were something more fun rather than making it essential to the story because then it sounds like you were kind of left to do it more. You were left to work on it without having to worry about in this scene, we need to add this in. In this scene, we need to add this in. That was all. So, yeah. So I guess having it in in post or that... (laughs) Or you know that that famous phrase will fix it in post. It says sort of a lot that it allowed you to concentrate on actually creating a world that's yours rather than being, uh, rather than. So I was just going to say that you you were kind of uh, I'm trying to find the word that's not the like not wrong. I don't want to say that you had not. I don't, I don't want to say a slave to creating that world, but it's more. Right. The, the word will come to me in about a few seconds. It is more the creating of the creating the world but not being having that freedom and not being sort of having that freedom to be able to do your design rather than picking up and making sure that each bit goes each bit is inserted in those places and i think well one thing that was scripted so we really you know made sure that to bring that to life was the cat and i don't know i in production it was really important that the cat like we filmed the cat really hating everyone. And then the dad comes and it's the first time you see the cat um, really happy to see someone. So that was a big, that was probably like the biggest sort of visual Easter egg we had during production. 
but which was very fun. I mean, we cast the cat and, and that was everyone's favorite days during the shoot. But I think, yeah, be it again, and it's, it's June's world. So kind of the Easter eggs are, they're a little bit more outside of her world because she, she doesn't, she's figuring it out as she's, you know, step by step. And so we didn't want to other, I mean, the cat was one and then, but that's kind of in terms of how far we could go when we were filming, that was probably the biggest one and the rest, because the post-production on a film like this is almost like another production, you know, another, it's like second production because so much goes into it. It's not only the editing, but it's also the VFX of the graphics and then combining them. And then, so I, I think they, the Easter eggs, we needed more, we needed to see all of it together, which is, you know, usually you're filming something you can start to see the overall picture as you're going. Well, on this shoot, we could visually see the narrative, but we weren't able to see kind of the overall look of the film itself because it hadn't been built and created quite yet. So I so at once they were farther along in post, I think that's when they were able to start saying, okay, where can we play? Where can we drop things in? What can we have on the screen and where? So that people who watch it a third, you know, second or third time can start to pick up on all these different kind of clues. When you're mentioning about watching it a second or third time, picking up those clues, it is a, these are the sort of films that get better better on repeat viewing because then you see all the sort of um, breadcrumbs that I've sprinkled across the film for you to sort of find. And because I remember when Searching came out being like blown away and then you watch it again and then it's kind of like that because you're so concentrating on the actors, you kind of miss mm-hmm. on little, uh, little details um, that I get put in. So when you go watch it again, you're just like, wow. Actually, it was all in front of me the whole time, but yeah. they it's just so well done. I think that's one of the things that Natalie, Sev, Anish, Will, Nick, because they really worked so hard on searching, they were really able to step up everything for missing because they had that experience and they were really dedicated to making sure all the details really clicked and made sense so then to sort of ratchet that up for the next installment they brought such scope to this movie because and it mostly because they they spend so much time before the script even starts to be thinking about physical production they all workshop it together and really get all those details dialed in early early on they make sure to give themselves enough time. And I think it really pays off. It's such a smart way of, of approaching this style of movie. Show, but let the but let the audience but tell on the second or third viewing. But the because you there was something that you mentioned previously that when they went into post, it all became another whole production because you have to insert the whole screen world into the film. Are you involved directly in that sort of side or is that more done with more VFX crew and the technical Mm -hmm. crew is not the right word, but it's the more sort of, let me start again, is it more to do with like the VFX crew and more of a computer side, more than a set side of things? For the post-production side of things, I was not directly involved in the majority of 
building those graphics and visual effects, it's so technical and it, and it takes so long. It would be really hard to stay on that entire time. But so because we'd worked together so closely and they knew they'd taken such an interest in the look of the film that I wasn't worried because I knew that they had all of that ingrained in them and would bring that to while they were approaching kind of the post-production and visual effects elements. Because it's always like that was a sort of what I was interested in quite a lot is mm-hmm. those sort of two elements because I was speaking to Deborah L. Scott, who was the costume designer on Avatar, and how because that film is very much a lot of it is done with visual effects, but they did did create the costumes, every single one for the characters right. and have them wear them on set. But she was also saying that she was very heavily involved in the post process. So that was sort of something that kind of um, wanted to like made me want to scratch an itch there. I mean, I think it's different on every kind of on every project on this movie in particular, because the the screen world is a lot of it is already built out in terms of the look of things like Google Maps and Gmail and all those elements that they're pulling in into the film already have a lot of that look. They weren't created specifically for this movie. So we were building less in post that was specific to June's world than we were than maybe you might on another film. That's quite interesting with like the the cutting of it between the two and designing of the two what would you say what would you say what were like some of the difficulties of designing um missing it was not a difficulty but it was challenging finding the right locations we really had to look and really hunt for them i mean we we scouted for weeks uh which is which is common but on this project we had such specific needs that finding locations that met those needs was quite challenging so i would say that was probably the biggest one but a lot of other issues that come up like we we had an amazing art department an amazing collaboration so a lot of the places where it can sometimes be tricky or problems might arise we we were really very lucky and I think that's because everyone they that Will and Nick and Natalie wanted to bring in were very collaborative. There's a bit where they go to Colombia. So, you know, I can imagine that going from two sort of different countries would provide its own challenges as well, because just because of the, the idea of looking for places, but it was also that with the stuff in Colombia, it does, because it does interconnect with throughout the whole film so it's quite it does play a big part and I think if there's a certain look that you want to go for as well and style that it could be very difficult to sort of find especially with location hunting because you can find somewhere but it's like it's about how you use the space and what you want to show in it at the same time yes and that I'm glad you brought that up because that was also challenging was we were prepping the Columbia unit while we were shooting the LA unit so that was definitely challenging. The Columbia Art Department was amazing. We had such a talented art director and we're very lucky to have her and her team. But, you know, we'd be like shooting scenes and having meetings in a different, you know, in a different country and virtually scouting locations. And um, I was working ahead on a lot of that so that by the time 
production got down there. We had a lot of locations locked and that actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that was definitely probably one of our major challenges was just simultaneously working through all those different elements. Because it's just like, from the sounds of it, even you're shooting one, prepping one, but it's not like you're shooting is it's like on top of another country. And you also have to take into consideration like the time zones. And then I'm not sure how, how big the film industry is out in Colombia, but it's mm-hmm. also how different resources you might have so if you're in LA you could might you might be able to get a, something like a prop very easily because of the amount of prop houses and accessibility mm-hmm. whilst in Colombia it might be a bit different but then also you wanted to sort of distinguish between the two in terms of n- not n- not necessarily I think you wanted to make it believable that you were on location but also important to show those different places as part of the plot because they are they do become very driven and push it along so for example the where that when they're on the bridge um scene and you know where they fake the whole kidnapping those sort of areas and making it look real um essentially right Right. and then you know we were working in different time zones and two different languages and also two different industry like the same industry but different requirements so the location manager in Colombia was running into like a lot of the locations we were looking at were historical or protected. So, you know, we might say, okay, these are our top two, but, and then he'd go check with the film office there and they wouldn't be allowed to film there. So there was a lot of back and forth in sort of navigating all of these things that are very normal, but were kind of heightened in terms of the difficulty for for all those reasons that it wasn't just here it wasn't around the corner it wasn't you know we weren't filming in places that it was they have shoots every other week so kind of navigating all that was it was a lot <laughs> i mean it was fun but it was just crazy yeah and then to add into the mix that it could be a historical landmark or it could be something of quite importance to the region because then in that way even though you want to film they still need to be respectable and uh, respectable and uh, respectable as possible to people there and the region and especially if it is like a landmark like like a bridge um i'm not sure if it's actually a bridge where they put the lockets on not the safe the safe lockets or it could be somewhere that could mean a lot to a lot of people it's like the the bridge mission possible wanted to blow up in poland and they said right. they'd build a whole brand new one. And it's like, not a problem. Don't worry. You know, it'll be it'll be better than before. But it's like the, the significance of what that bridge means to the people there. It's right. like they cannot ever be replaced. So you kind of have to take that extra consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that bridge, actually, the lock bridge was not a lock bridge. And you know, that was something we had to navigate was the weight of all the locks was going to be too heavy to structurally still be safe according to engineers so we ended up needing and we needed the different height layers of that specific location where you know you see the road beneath them and you can see the van and you can see the city and it's just very beautifully laid out so we knew we really needed that location but then ended up being quite a complicated build of pieces of the bridge with locks and then we shot those elements and then they recreated them in post and then they dropped them in and it was it it turned out wonderfully i think it's very difficult to tell if at all but that that was like a huge ended up being a huge headache that we had to work through because 
it was the right location, but the the requirements of the location didn't fit what we were trying to do there. Mm. And I think that that element as well, you know, that idea of the the weight on the bridge and it's those little things that would create you know those little things that would trip you up that would create like a seismic seismic issue that just would be like i don't think we could ever come back from that or imagine having that bridge collapsing because you put one too many uh, locks on it just so funny to sort of think about because these are the things that an audience member wouldn't think would have to would um come into play right exactly just sort of um coming to my final question how have you found the response um to the film I have looked kind of briefly, I wouldn't say I've looked too much in detail, but I went to see it with some friends in the theaters a couple weekends ago, and it was such a fun experience. It was one of those movies where people were very interactive um, and reacting to what was happening and surprised. And there was a lot of kind of like small, you know, outbursts. And so I seeing it in theaters with an audience was so rewarding because it was such a fun there's and ride. There's all these twists and turns. And I mean, I was checking some of the reviews today and it seems like people are, are taking it really well, but I think one of the most enjoyable things is that people love watching it. And that's kind of one of the magic of movies is, is that they are an escape. And I think we really succeeded in that sense. And it's just a fun, fun movie. And I all, all of the collaboration really pulled together in front of and behind camera to get this final product that's really enjoyable for a, a wide audience, which is super rewarding. It just out of curiosity, when you've gone to watch it with films, have they ever nudged you to be like, well, what's going to happen next? Or do you watch at their reaction because you know what's going to happen next? In general, I think I'm watching to see what the final product has become. I don't always get a chance to see it before it comes out. But in in this case, I I had already seen, I went to the premiere and so I had seen it and knew and had sort of done the first watch of how did it turn out? And so this was kind of the second watch. And so it was, I had the headspace to kind of be paying a little more attention to how people were reacting to all the twists and turns. And I think we're watching it with such a big audience. Well, when you're watching with an audience, sorry, just I guess you're you get sucked in more as well. And mm-hmm. I, I know you probably you would have seen it before at a premiere, but I think with those sort of it, people who hadn't worked worked on it, and then those twists and turns happening, and then people being like, "Whoa!" Right. It really enhances this experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly, thank you for your time today. Missing is out the us and then out on the 24th of february in the uk go out and watch it it's a really good film so exciting i can't wait to hear how it goes over in the uk i think um i think it'll go well a lot of i've seen online reactions um already with people who've been to press screenings and it seems very positive so yeah i think i think we'll be it'll be good thank you again kelly and thank you um, so much no thank you for your time you take care and bye-bye Bye, thank you. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast.